Father, we come before you now. At the start of this year, asking you to remind us of how great you are. And to remind us of how great sinners we are. But how much of a greater Savior you sent to save us. Help us, Lord, to see our sins that are in our life. May this be the year where we can just see more and more of our sin as we come closer and closer to you. That your light, your word, your truth will reveal how desperate we are in need of your grace. And that can uplift us and encourage us to know that we are truly forgiven through your Son. Lord, be with all the churches that are meeting in whatever capacity, in whatever places on top of mountains, underneath, in caves, wherever it may be, Lord. We ask that you remind all of us that we're in this together for your name, for your glory, that your banner will be waved, saying, all is for you, all to your glory. May our lives reflect that, Lord. So fill us with hope, love, and peace so that we can continue to consistently live out the faith that you may shine bright through us. In Jesus' name, amen. So today marks the beginning of a new year, right? It's the time where in some sense we get to hit the reset button, start anew. We get to reorient our values, get to bring in and work on new habits and get rid of old ones that didn't do us any good. We get to have a fresh perspective on life and on on those around us, if you will. And so with all this New Year jazz and and this New Year of celebration, the text that we're going to go over today in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, is, a very, is very timely in setting up the new year for Christians, for us. For the very things that this text speaks of are the very things the world wants you to forget this new year. The very things that are pointed out here in this text, the world wants you to count as silly, see as impractical, and of no consequence to your life this new year. It wants you to forget that there is a devil out there. It wants you to believe the lie that Satan and his minions are nothing more than a folklore or ancient stories that have no real practical implication upon your life and how you live and in those you interact with. It wants you to think Satan and his kingdom of darkness is just seen as something out there, seen as something that amounts to really nothing on how you go about your daily life and your dealings with sin. So that, in turn, you will make very little of the gospel and its freedom and its rest. Because when you make little of your sin in your life, you therefore make very little of Jesus in your life. If you see that you are a great sinner who is prone to sin, then you will see your great need of a Savior who can overcome it with His great power alone. But Satan, through his influence of the world, wants you to see and treat the wonders of what Jesus has done for you and is doing for you 
as just more facts that you store in your brain, in your head, with all those other facts. And they just get lost in there. So you end up just seeing Jesus as, a, as, as useless for your everyday means of life. Because, I mean, there are just so many more important things to think about, right? And be involved with. At least that's what Satan wants you to think. I mean, sure, we'll be involved with Jesus for maybe an hour on Sunday. Or maybe see him as someone who is involved with us for about 10 to 15 minutes of devotion time or prayer time during the week. I mean, that's even if you have time for devotions and a prayer time. I mean, because we're so busy, right? I mean, we got people to see, things to watch, news to hear about, uh, things to take care of. At least that's what Satan wants you to think. Okay, fine. Maybe we'll go to Jesus when we find him useful or more, most practical. You know, those times when you just use him as a tool to get what you want in the moment through an argument with someone or a disagreement, just so you can take control of the situation for your own comfort, to use him to make you look good, to make you seem like the good guy in the situation, the hero, just to make yourself look better than the other person so you can feel good about about yourself at the other person's expense. Kind of a self-righteousness. That's how Satan wants you to react to the people around you. Or just see Jesus as a resource to benefit your life for a moment of time when things are a bit tough or confusing, but once once things are gone and things are somewhat back to normal, we forget them. That's how Satan wants you to react when things get comfortable. Or when we run to Jesus as some bellboy to do our biddings, some magic genie to suit our selfish and self-centered ways, so that when we're in that deep pit that we dug and we placed ourselves in, but now it's no longer suiting our preference, we don't like it anymore, We'll call out to God to get us out. And then after thanking him for taking us out so graciously, we quickly forget about him and go right back to digging a new self-centered pit to only realize that that pit too is not satisfactory for our souls. That's what Satan encourages us to do every day. See, the last thing the devil and his wretched kingdom wants you to see and identify with is that Christ is your life as Paul says in Colossians 3, 4. Or to see and identify with, it is no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you, as Paul says in Galatians 2, 20. Satan is influencing this world to encourage you and to support you. You get the greatest applause from him and encouragement in not pursuing to live by faith in Christ in all things, for all things, to sustain all things for you. Satan wants you to find statements such as Romans 14, 23, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. He wants you to read that, hear that, and think to yourself, that's kind of silly and really impractical. He wants you to say and think, how is that even possible? How does that even work? So then you end up thinking little of it, thinking it's kind of dumb, kind of a waste of time, and not really the best use of time of figuring out how that applies to your life. So that, again, 
In turn, you don't go to Christ to produce such unfathomable truths and splendors within you and in your life. He wants to keep you away from that. But praise be to God that the gospel states our salvation and blessings from God is not dependent upon what we do before God or even how consistent we live by his laws before him, but solely is dependent on the work of another, Jesus Christ, who we by faith then trust in, that he lived the life we could not live, he died the death we deserve, and he came back to, live, uh, back to life to give us what we could not earn. So our title then today is The Whole Armor of God. So it's gonna, we're going to look at the text and see what Paul then has to say to us this beginning of the new year. It states in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Paul, right here from the get-go, is saying to all of us, Look, you need to understand what I'm saying here is something that you need to take very seriously. And it's something you need to start taking seriously now. Not tomorrow, not when you have the time, not when you get yourself all together, not after you have lunch, but now. And this brings us to our first point of the whole armor of God. It's vital you put it on now. See, now is the time to begin taking up this whole armor of God in your life. The Greek here, the way it's written... The therefore take up the whole armor of God is written in a way that screams urgency. Screams for urgency for you to begin it now as you're hearing this sermon. See, Paul is trying to beat into our thick skulls that you and I cannot face this world and its demonic powers, let alone facing your own sin all in your own power. Or put differently, You do not got a handle on any part of your life that is safe from Satan's attack, from Satan's influence and his enticement that you wouldn't give in to sin. No matter what it is with your life. For when you face anything without the whole armor of God, this world deceptively brings you into a path that increases your sin in whatever it is. Paul here is saying to all of us, all of us who believe in Jesus Christ, no no matter how long we've believed, no matter how mature you are or immature, Paul is grabbing us all by the shoulders, looking at us with deep, piercing eyes, with a very stern, but very lovingly, fatherly voice, looking at you, saying, I want you to come to the grip, and and the grip with the reality that you are completely defenseless, Without this armor. For there are major dark powers that are at work that you cannot see that are working against you individually, personally, and us collectively. That are working against you with everything you come in contact with. Satan twists scripture too, you know. Please don't leave this armor out of any areas of your life. No matter how irrelevant it may seem. Don't leave any area of your life defenseless. Don't leave 
any of the armor of God lying upon the floor thinking that some part of your life does not need that one piece, that small piece of armor because it seems redundant or impractical. Don't think that one part of your life is doing okay in and of itself because that's where Satan's influence will just entice you to sin all the more. Now here's the thing with this this armor of God that Paul will eventually go over piece by piece later in the text. But for now, it's important to understand by using this analogy or example of putting on the whole armor of God, Paul not only means that God is the provider of this armor, but it also carries the idea that it is God's own armor we are putting on that has been tested and proved to win because when you look at Jesus, it's already won. See, the concept of the armor of God is not a new thing for Paul, but it's based in the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Isaiah, where it is God who puts on the armor and defends his people with it. Or it's the Messiah that puts it on to fight for his people. For example, in Isaiah 11.5 and Isaiah 49.2, Isaiah 11.5 and 49.2, it speaks of the Messiah, who is the Christ. It says, righteousness shall, shall be his belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me. Isaiah 59, 17 speaks of God by saying, He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in the zeal as a cloak. So the idea then is that God It is God himself then we're fully to rely on, trust on, depend on, look to, rest in, and nothing else. So again, to put it more directly, this whole idea of putting on the armor of God, to take up the whole armor of God, just means to go to Jesus by faith with everything and leave nothing out of your life. Paul is saying, look, God has provided everything for you through Jesus He is your true source of strength, true source of knowledge and wisdom and hope. And he is your source of joy and peace. He is your source of satisfaction and contentment in your life. He is the source of your love and kindness and patience. Jesus is your everything. He has given everything to you. Jesus is the armor you need to fight against, you need to fight with against your sin and against your true enemy which is Satan and his minions as you live in this world. It's Jesus. He's the armor. For it's by Jesus alone that we, that we have victory over our sins because his victory is our victory through faith in him alone. All of the sustaining power to overcome the power of sin in our life, to release those shackles, to, to release us from condemnation, to release us from the power of the world, to release us from the power of Satan's influence, all the power, all the life-giving, sustaining power of freedom to know we are forgiven fully and truly and completely comes from faith in Christ alone. That is it. He is the armor ultimately, all by faith in him alone because he's already won. 
And it's this seemingly simple fact, faith in him alone, which we hear over and over again, we too easily forget. It is faith alone in Christ that gives us the power to live a life worthy of the gospel, not in ourselves. But yet, we forget it so fast, and we go back to exhausting ourselves and thinking we can do it on ourselves. We can do it ourselves. We end, and then we end up falling into sin of self-righteousness or some wretched sin that we try and justify saying, well, this is just the right way of doing things because it's the only way of doing it. No! There is a way, a right way, and it's provided for us through Christ. And his word will help you in that. Paul here is saying faith in Christ is the only way we have to battle against our greatest foes in this world, which are, the un- which are unseen to our naked eye. It's not the person in front of you. But at the same time, these unseen powers are very much in our face and are very involved with everything we do to entice us to sin all the more. So quickly run to Christ, put on Christ with everything in your life and leave nothing out. So then Paul here then sums up why. Why we are to take up the whole armor of God. He gives us the purpose and and the promise. He states that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And this truly is another staggering reality that Paul reveals to us. That the world tries to hide from you. And why we need the armor of God over everything in our life. Paul is basically saying here that the present days... And the future days until the Lord returns, all the days are overall evil. And this brings us to our second point. You're facing evil every day. Think of it this way. When you wake up, every day that you wake up, you are waking up to a world of evil that is surrounding you. Now, that doesn't mean it's as evil as it can be. I mean, there were periods in history when things got worse than others, specifically for Christians. I don't see anyone being thrown in lion dens yet, at least not here in America. But nonetheless, every day is evil still. And though it may seem peaceful or somewhat manageable or comfortable for a time, it's still an evil day. I mean, Satan does not always have to come with intense, painful tortures of physical persecution against Christians. He doesn't always have to present sins to you and me as the full grotesque or outlandish. But he also comes and influences us with with things that seem to be okay, beautiful, or even practically helpful. But it never truly is. For example... 2 Corinthians 11.14 says this about Satan. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He doesn't always come with you with the ugly stuff, but the very practical stuff that seems good for you at that moment. Just take one bite. It's fine. You need it. So by Paul saying, by saying, withstand in the evil day, we must understand that this world is not our home then. We have been saved from the world of darkness. We have been pulled out by the grace of God to be his pilgrims here. 
because our true residence is in the heavenly kingdom above with Christ now. But for now, we exist then as the outcasts of the world because this world is saturated with the stench of sin and death. But that's no longer your aroma. For you are now, as 2 Corinthians 2.15 says, we are the aroma of Christ to God. And guess what? Satan in the world hates the sight of us. It hates the smell of us. Because the more we live by faith in all things, Christ and his power alone is seen through us in this dark world. So when Paul then says that you may be able to withstand the evil day, what is meant is that when you take up the whole armor of God, you will be able to stand your ground when the onslaught of attacks of the evil one come upon you. And praise be to God, we can stand against it. Amen, there is hope. We live with hope. But, but, we must take up all the armor by faith in these evil days to do so. Because too easily we think we're strong enough. And that cannot be stressed enough to go to Jesus for everything with everything in your life, all the relationships and even the mundane things. Because if we don't, and we let any piece down for just a moment, a moment, I mean, it just took a moment for Eve to take a bite. Just a moment. There will be, understand this, there will be critical moments in your life Okay, to get real practical, there'll be critical moments in your life that the influence of Satan will hit you on such a personal level that you won't even realize it because you have the armor down and you'll end up then following after the ways of sin because you weren't placing your faith in Christ in some situation, but in yourself, you weren't placing your faith in Christ with your relationship but rather in something or someone else. You were dependent on someone else or something else, some material thing, whatever. See, there are times when the storm of Satan will hit you at just at the most inopportune time and you'll lose it because you, because you let that armor piece down. You weren't resting in him. And what you end up doing is looking for a way out of the storm as a reaction by any means necessary in your own power and you end up then giving in to temptation after temptation after temptation in whatever this situation is or whoever it is. Which instead of, leaving, of leading you out and away from the storm, you end up vainly only following after the storm, staying in its path, staying underneath it of this pain, lust, fear, or whatever sin. You end up just going wherever the storm is go- going and it never leaves. And soon you become so obsessed with self because you're just so exhausted from constantly staggering through all the mud and the rain. You just don't care about anyone else. And you get deeper and deeper into the pit of despair. Or soon you become so fixated with fixing yourself that you end up just trampling over people and use them in whatever way just to find some way of getting some type of vain relief for just a moment. See, Satan will will run you ragged. He'll find that place of armor that you're not trusting. 
And he'll entice you then to look under every rock, behind every tree, in every bush, to find the hope and the contentment and the security and rescue that you're longing for to make you feel alive rather than just relying upon Christ and his armor, relying upon him. But he'll throw everything else at you. I mean, that goes a range from media to politics to personal self-help, relationships, whatever. Satan and his ways of sin always overpromise, and they always underdeliver with everything that this world has to offer you. It can only give you death. And he will do his best to keep you away, as Paul says at the end of verse 13, to keep you away from having done all to stand firm. This brings us to our last point. You have the victory already. Satan doesn't want you to realize that. He wants you to walk around. I heard one person say, you ever look for the glasses on top of your head and you can't find them and realize they've been there the whole time? That's how it is with the armor. See, Paul here says, look, we're not doomed to being run ragged by our sin or Satan. Amen. We are not doomed to be in this constant state of exhaustion, fear, doubt, worry, anger, lust, pride, envy, distress, whatever. But rather, we could stand restfully and victoriously in Christ all through faith in Him alone. Because notice, notice something here. Notice, it's very important. It's easy to miss. Paul is all about withstanding and standing firm. We don't have to do the doing. The armor of God has already won. We just have to put it on by faith. That's it. Faith in Jesus. And by faith, we will be able to withstand the storm, stand our ground, and let it pass. It always passes. Sin always passes at some point. It may be long, it may be hard, it may be just a constant going, but eventually it will stop. Because Christ will be with us through the storm. He will let it pass over us. We don't have to run all frantic. We don't have to go anywhere. We just have to believe in him. And he will bring us through it. We just have to stand in him, stand in his armor, all by faith in him. We rely upon this armor then to let him destroy our sin, to let him destroy the evil one around us. See, ultimately here, ultimately, Paul is not telling us to go out and be better or even do better. That's the world's exhaustive commands. That's the world's trick to keep you enslaved to sin where it's all focused on you. That's not what Paul is saying. No, Paul, all Paul is saying here is really 
for us to believe better. Trust more. That's it. Place your faith in Jesus more and more with more things. And remove your trust more and more from everything else, ultimately. Why? So that when temptation comes and sin rears its ugly head in your life, when you face this world then, no matter how good it seems, how shiny it is, you by faith in Christ then, because you have the armor, will see and know what's truly behind what's being presented to you. You will see that the evil one is looking for ways to break you, to distract you, from Christ and his finished work on your behalf so that you end up living, feeling condemned. Satan wants you to live in guilt, live in hate, live in unforgiveness, live in regret, and live with discontentment in your life. He wants you to live in thinking God is not for you, but against you, which is so far from the truth. For God loves sinners such as you and I, and the gospel is the proof. The cross is the visual depiction of God's unconditional love for you and me as sinners. And that's where we go to find our rest and our hope and our peace. See, now that we're saved by faith, we have to realize that we've been given everything through Christ but also realize that Satan is always looking for ways for Jesus and his gospel, which is full of blessings, not to be enough for you, not to be enough to satisfy your soul. So he just presents lie after lie after lie to you in this world, saying there's a better way. Satan does this. He does this. I can't can't emphasize this enough because I forget it so often. I'm such a sinner. Uh, Satan does not want you to live from the love you already have in Christ. Satan does not want you to live from the complete contentment and restoration that Christ provides. Satan does not want you to live from the hope and joy and peace that Christ gives and is for us. He doesn't want us to live from the full rescue and the new beginnings and the true freedom that Jesus fully provides to us by his never-ending never grace over us. Rather, he wants you, and, and he is doing whatever it takes to entice us to be enslaved in finding all of those things in the material things and the people around us which they'll never be able to do. They'll never be able to satisfy. No one can satisfy you. Only Christ. Because when you do, when you place those unbearable standards on people, on anyone, your spouse, your kids, the the church, anyone, your work, your job, hobbies, whatever, it will only lead you to sin because you're looking for rest and joy and comfort somewhere else. You're looking for rest in change. And there's no, the, ch- the world can't bring change. Christ brings change. See, Paul here in Ephesians verse 13 is saying, stand your, cr- stand your ground 
Because everything else just leads to sin. Stand your ground in Christ by faith alone in him for everything. Rest in his never-ending mercy over you. Know and trust in him alone as your defender, your provider, your sustainer. Put on all his armor by faith in him so you will be able to withstand and see through all the ways of sin and Satan and his influences in your life so that you can live as the free person you are in Jesus. You are free. So live it. Your call and my call is to stand our ground in Christ in everything by faith alone. For in him, as the Bible says, we take every thought captive to obey him. And the wonders of the gospel says this. Even if we fail at this, which we will, and I do, I'll probably fail the moment I walk out of here. God still loves us anyways. And he will not forsake us but he will give us more and more of his grace because he loves us. Because he loves us. And that should empower us all the more then to put this armor on through faith in Christ that he freely gives. Because he knows how weak we are. He knows our sins and the sins you will commit. And maybe the worst sin that you never thought you would commit that you will eventually commit. It may be coming. He knows how you forget him at times. He knows how you mess up things and maybe mess up relationships. He knows what type of train wreck you are in your heart. But that does not and did not stop him from giving you his love. And now through faith in his son, he gives you everything you need in this world to be free from the power of sin and death in your life. And even the times that you neglect to take up this armor then to protect you, here's the glory of the gospel. Christ still died for you, and, his, and he loves you and his forgiveness is over you and his grace and blessings then do not leave you but stay with you always for his armor is always there to take up in any situation you are in. Amen. That's the only reason why he says take it up because it's there. So take it up. So my prayer for you and the prayer for me is that this year we can begin by looking to Christ in his gospel for everything, for all things, for him to sustain everything. That we can start today, this moment, taking up the full armor of God in everything. So happy new year. Let's go now to the Lord in prayer.